You're listening to the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. I'm your host, Arden Cartret. This space is meant to be a tool for you to feel less alone and to learn more about how to get through what you've been through and what you're probably going through. We'll hear diverse stories from women and men in the online space, experts, and people just like you and me who are feeling the effects of miscarriage and loss in real time. This is the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. I'm really I'm happy in some sense to be sharing my story on this podcast. Um, I found the Life After Miscarriage podcast almost immediately after I experienced my first miscarriage. And it feels interesting to come full circle to share what led me to that point and what got me here. Um, a lot of people's stories start when they meet their partner, but my story starts a lot earlier. Um, when I was a child, I was about seven. Um, my mom's sister became pregnant with twins and she had had some fertility issues, um, which obviously as a seven-year-old, you don't really understand, but they were very honest with me that, um, you know, Aunt Susie had trouble getting pregnant and she had to take medication and she had twins and one of them died uh, after birth. So they were born at 25 weeks, I think about. Um, and so my, my cousin Danielle is now, she's nearing 30. Um, but her sister Mackenzie died at three weeks old. And that was the first time that I remember realizing that babies don't stay necessarily. Um, and then soon after my mom's other sister had a fairly late miscarriage at I think 20 weeks. Uh, where the baby was not formed properly. And I found out even later that my, my aunt had rubella and uh, this caused the baby to not grow limbs. And so these things happened when I was just a kid. And I, so I knew going in that there was, there was all of this potential for pain. And when my mom was, uh, when I was 10, my mom had a miscarriage at about I think 14 weeks. So I, you know, by the time I was 10, I knew at least three losses. And I think I had maybe a different perspective than a lot of people who were not aware that some of this could happen. I was over aware that this could happen. So from the time that it was about that age until I started to try for a baby myself, I had this, I also had generalized anxiety, but I had this ongoing anxiety that I wouldn't be able to carry a baby for decades. Um, this was kind of um, compounded by being in a long-term relationship with a boyfriend that I had before my husband for eight years, who at times would say mean things like he thought I wouldn't be a good mother because I wasn't patient and that he was afraid to have children with me. Um, which, you know, it's exactly what you want to hear, of course. <laughs> so fortunately, I ended that relationship. I met my husband on Tinder in 2014. Um, we were married in 2018. And we wanted to, we were both on the same page. He was a little bit older than me. I was already into my 30s at the time. And we wanted to get pregnant right away. Um, I had 
other issues where I was worried that I wouldn't be able to get pregnant. My mom thought I had endometriosis. It turns out I didn't. It's very strange thing, but I, I, you know, had a lot of anxiety about getting pregnant essentially. And then I got pregnant almost immediately. Um, I think it was the second cycle that we tried that it, that I got a positive test and I was just kind of stunned. I thought it would take a lot longer, particularly since I was a bit older. Um, I mean, I was that much older, I was 33, 34. I don't honestly remember at this point. I think I was 34. Um, and at the same time, I was, I was working in, at a university, uh, working on mobile technologies, and I was about to spin off a company um, and be CEO of this company. <laughs> and oh, <wow. laughs> I was, yeah, not the kind of things that you normally think about together, like impending parenthood and trying to like get funding to start like a venture. And I just had it in my mind. I was like, I'm going to just do it all together. I'm just going to make it happen. I'm going to do everything at once. No one's going to stop me. Um, I was working with an executive coach at the time too, who was like motivating me. So I was very, very positive about things and just, you know, trying to manifest all these positive thoughts and thinking that I could do all of these things at the same time. Long story short, I was not, I was wrong. (laughs) Um, not that others couldn't accomplish this, but it did not work out for me. Um, I was in the midst of talks with being acquired by another company and trying to go into legal contract to uh, take this software and uh, continue to develop it under my own company. We were about 10 weeks pregnant. I, I thought miscarriage at the time was like bleeding basically. So I was like, I thought we were kind of in the clear because none of that was happening. I had had a, um, I had, I'd had a positive ultrasound. I'm like, this must just be like, we're fine. I've seen other people announce this early. Um, this must like, so we started telling people, um, we didn't post anything on social media, but you know, we told his parents, um, we told, I told my parents, there were some friends that we shared with, we were not being cautious at all um, about, we just didn't think that anything was going to go wrong. So we told his parents on Easter, uh, this is 2019, and we found out the next day at a scan that the baby no longer had a heartbeat. Um, meanwhile, we were also trying to buy a house and we had to uh, we had to exit that contract on the same day. I was still on the table at the OB's office trying to call people and figure out if we could stay in our apartment while I I was like in the midst of being sent to the hospital for a second scan. And I called my husband. I'm like, you have to take care of this right now because I just, I can't do it. I can't do these two things at the same time. Um, and it's just this, this moment that I'll never forget where the, the OB who I really liked was doing the Doppler and she's like, well, we might not hear anything. It's still early. And I was not concerned when we didn't hear anything. So when she pulled out the ultrasound, the portable ultrasound machine, she put it on my belly and said, this is not a healthy 10 week pregnancy. And she said, it's okay, you can cry. And I feel really emotional thinking about that moment because I was so, 
my, my initial response wasn't to cry. It was just completely still and in shock and unprepared for that moment. And I don't think that unless you've been through that before, you just, there's no preparing you for that. You can't live your life that way, first of all, <laughs> but there's just, oh, it's a, I always say that that feeling is like your stomach is in your butt. <laughs> like it's the Pretty worst. Much. Yeah. It's the worst physical feeling. And then your mind is going through all of these things. Like, what do you mean? My baby is not alive. What do you mean? I have to have a DNC. What do you mean? I'm now going to tell people I'm not pregnant. It's, it's so much. Yeah. I, I, it's just in, in pure shock and having like having had anxiety issues before it, makes everything flare really badly so sometimes your anxiety makes you pace and cry and kind of panic but other times anxiety is just really isolating and freezes you completely and that's the kind of, that I was feeling at the time I was completely frozen and stunned and um, as I left I was uh, walking down so I live in the Boston area. So you can walk from hospital to hospital. I'm walking down the street. I call a friend and I'm like, there's no heartbeat. My baby died. And my friend is like, it might not be that. <laughs> She's like, oh, one time, you know, they couldn't find my daughter's heartbeat. And then she was fine. And it could be fine. And don't panic yet. Just go to the hospital and get your scan. It's like, okay. So I get into the ultrasound unit at the hospital. They do you know, the internal Wanda scan, most people are probably familiar with on this podcast. And they had kind of this terrible monitor. It was really crappy and flickering. And I remember seeing a flicker on the screen and thinking, oh, my baby's alive. But they weren't. They weren't alive. And they left me in the room and it was just silence. And I was alone. Um, and I called my husband. I told him what happened. And I remember sending my friend like a broken heart emoji because I just had nothing to say. Um, my husband took the subway to the hospital. So it took a long time. And I just sat there in like the lobby area where there's like a coffee shop and stuff. And I just waited and I was wearing my sunglasses and trying just not to look at anybody and thinking, what are they thinking looking at me? They don't know what just happened to me. And he, he finally got there and I just collapsed into his arms. And then we had to take the subway home. So I was listening to music and crying in the middle of a crowded subway. It's my husband just holding me. And I just was looking around at all these people and like, they don't know. They don't know what disaster we just are going through right now. Um, and that was extremely painful. Um, so this was a missed miscarriage. They, you know, didn't see a heartbeat, but obviously nothing was happening yet because there was no clue other than the fact that my symptoms had kind of gone away, but of course they tell you that's normal. Um, I decided that I wanted to, I essentially wanted to birth this baby. I wanted to feel what it was like them to leave my body. Um, I didn't want to get the surgery because I didn't want it to be like it ever happened. Um, so I 
asked for the medication to move things along. Um, another, I had a, a, quite a number of friends who've also experienced miscarriage and they were recommending things and stuff. So I took a two pill approach and one of the pills had to be administered in a hospital. And of course I get there and the doctor is like 39 weeks pregnant who gives me this pill in an OB ward. And I'm just trying to be that frozen out person because it's the way that I was coping at the time. And they hand me paperwork that says for your medical abortion. I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. This is exactly what you want to read right now. Um, I work in science and medicine and public health. And so I'm a little bit less sensitized to some of that language, but it does not feel good to get something like that for a very wanted baby. Um, I was still terrified of going through this process at home. And I tried to get some painkillers so that I would be prepared. Um, and I was not able to get them. Um, the doctor forgot to fill the script and you know, you need to go in person to get narcotics. So I remember going, trying to get them and feeling like, like a pill seeker and just ready to break. Um, going through this process over the course of several days. Um, and after you take this initial pill, there's a hormone crash. You basically now, having had my rainbow baby, I recognize this hormone crash as being postpartum. Um, being postpartum while losing your baby, which I was not prepared for in any way. Um, people, the way- I totally people- agree with you. Like I have to interrupt just to say that that validated having my rainbow validated what I went through after loss as being postpartum because I didn't know what was happening to me then, but then going through a full-term birth and postpartum, I was like, I've been here before. I've done this. So Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you. Yeah. It's it's really stunning because everybody just says, oh, it's like a heavy period. Everyone's had a heavy period, a bad period, whatever. It is nothing like that. Maybe for some people, that is what the experience is like. I even had a conversation with a friend of mine who's a nurse and she's like, that's what they told us it was. They said, it's like a bad period. I'm like, nobody died. First trimester birth. That's kind of what I've been trying to refer to Mm -hmm. it as, but you know, that doesn't, Yeah, people can't find things if you call it a first trimester birth. So you have to call it a miscarriage. And so here we are. (laughs) That's a really good point. And you know, I, I, appreciate the term first trimester birth because that is what I went through. So after I took the medication, which doesn't work for everybody, by the way, but it did work for me um, in some sense, I went, I was going through labor at home after taking this pill. And I started, it took about six hours. I was just like in unbelievable pain, contractions on top of each other. Um, and nothing was happening and I was sweating. I was in bed. I was at one point I just broke down into tears and I was like, I want, I want this to end. And I was, I was afraid of what was happening to my body. My husband kept calling the hospital and they're like, just take Advil, take Advil and Tylenol. It was not enough for what that was. Um, And finally, I felt my, I felt my water break, um, and which I was unprepared for as well. And I, but I knew it was happening. And I was able to, to pass the baby 
and bathroom and just, you know, it, it felt like birth. Obviously there's not a ton of pushing. It's not, it's not a full term baby, but um, these are just things that will never leave my mind. Um, the sensation of it, um, the emotion behind it, it was just tra completely traumatizing. Um, and not being able to get anybody to care, um, not care that you're in pain, not care that you're afraid, um, and to be kind of, you know, I have my husband, but ultimately it was just the two of us going through this together. And I was getting text messages from people at work, like, where are you? Why aren't you here today? And I'm like, I, I don't know what to say. Um, I'm sorry I couldn't come in today. I'm losing my baby. <laughs> I, it was terrible. And then afterward, naturally, you don't think about what do you need for time off or recovery or things like that. I was in this total postpartum fog for weeks. I had terrible memory. I was losing time. I was bleeding for an extended period of time. People were getting frustrated with me because I wasn't myself. And I really, truly wasn't myself. Um, people said just really insensitive things to me and not because they're trying to be mean, but people don't know what to say. And most, most things that people normally say are very hurtful. Um, even, you know, my mother, who my love and who was trying to support me said things that did not make me feel good. Um, you know, oh, at least, you know, you can get pregnant. I'm like, well, I don't want to get pregnant for the sake of being pregnant. I want to have a baby. And it was, it was very difficult. And it ended up, um, the medical procedure did not completely work for me. So I ended up having to have surgery five weeks later, uh, because there were retained products as they so lovingly call them. Um, and I was starting to get an infection. So I had to have that anyway. And I mean, it was a bit of a relief after having the surgery to know that it was truly over, but I was definitely traumatized and afraid of everything going forward. And I mentioned before that I had um, generalized anxiety before this. I had gone off of those medications to try to get pregnant. Um, and so I had been off of um, the two medications that I had been on for five to 10 years. So I was dealing with all of this without the support that I really needed for medication because I was afraid to take it during pregnancy. Um, ultimately, I ended up with my, with my rainbow baby, I ended up going back on the medication in the third trimester because it was the best thing for me. Um, and I do wish that perhaps there was not so much kind of inciting this fear in pregnant women that you're doing harm to your baby when there are many well-tested medications that you could take to support yourself during TTC, during loss, during, during pregnancy. Um, but I ended up being off of medication for about two years because of everything that we encountered afterward. Um, so after I finally healed from all of that physically, not mentally, uh, we decided to try again, even though I was not mentally in a good place. 
um, all of my startup stuff was imploding. Um, I had left my job to try to join this other startup. <laughs> I was on like a little break between jobs and I found out that they were not going to be able to pay me. So I was going into like a, like a very low salary environment, which I was not prepared for. Um, all, of, all of this stuff just completely fell apart. Um, the baby, the job, the house, all of it together. Um, so I was panicking pretty regularly, having some, not full-blown panic attacks, but just very big swings of anxiety. Um, we ended up just deciding to go for it one night. I think we went to like a friend's daughter's first birthday and we're like, we definitely just need to have a baby. We want this so bad. So we tried again and I got pregnant again. <laughs> I was like, am I a superwoman at getting pregnant? This is like insane. Um, but I had a feeling when the test, I didn't get a positive till 14 days later, which was a bit longer than the last time. And I'm like, I don't, something's not right. This isn't the way it was last time. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel the same. And of course, everyone that I talked to, you know, trusted friends are like, oh, every pregnancy is different. You're going to feel different. And I'm like, no, no, this isn't, it's not right. And having gone through all that I have, I've learned more than ever that my intuition is smarter than anybody's advice. Um, and it was true because I was then obsessed with taking tests, which many of us in this, uh, this realm are, and the tests started to fade. And I just, I knew that this wasn't, this wasn't going to happen for me. Um, my mom had actually come to visit and we I told her I was pregnant because there was no way she wasn't going to figure it out visiting. <laughs> and the next morning I said, I'm not pregnant anymore. And she's like, are you sure you don't have to poop? And I'm like, yes, I am sure, but that is not it. I'm uh, trying to figure out how that was her response. <laughs> it was because like my stomach hurt. I had cramping. This was far closer at five. Okay, so that's what she was thinking is from... Yeah. They just said to yeah, poop. So I'm like, it's like, I'm like, this is it's that one's a little funny to think back on. Um it's like a horrible thing to suggest that somebody's telling you that they're miscarrying and like in reality that's not funny, but I think you know, all we can do is laugh at yeah. some of the things that people say to us, and that is probably one of the like the strangest ones I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can laugh about it now. Um, I don't think I was particularly mad about it, but I was like, no. Yeah, no, I, I would not have been happened. laughing in the moment. No, it's not funny at all. It is no. a little funny now. Um, <laughs> and she certainly didn't need, you know, she wanted me to have a baby. She wants me to be positive. You know, this was like the loving response to say, maybe it's not what you think. But right. I mean, anybody who's been through this, you know that gut feeling that you have and and I mean you certainly could be wrong but you, there, there's just this level of trust that you end up building with yourself um was your pregnancy test fading or you just 
Okay. So that's what I was thinking and why I thought that was funny is knowing how this stuff works. Like if your pregnancy test is fading and you're cramping and you have, you know, if you start bleeding, like, you know, what's happening, it's not just that you have to poop. So that's, I think that's where my mind first went was, well, I'm sure that the pregnancy tests indicated. Yeah. Levels like were rising. Tests were, were getting darker and I felt like that. Sure. Maybe it was constipated, but <laughs> yeah. um, no, it was fading. And I did say that to her. I'm like, I don't think this is going to stick. Um, I just, I just know. Um, and yeah. part of that I think is, you know, there is a level of anxiety where you're maybe catastrophizing things, but in this case, I don't think I was. Um, so after that, I called my OB because I had, I let her know right away. I'm like, I got a positive test. I want to come in for an early ultrasound. We didn't even make it to that point where you could see anything. And I remember talking to her while I was, I went out to, down to Cape Cod on vacation with my family. And she's like, okay, because of your age and because you had two in a row, I'm going to refer you to a, an RE, um, reproductive endocrinologist, now and not wait for a third loss. And I was so grateful for that because of how many terrible stories I had heard about people not being believed or saying, oh, just try again. Um, you know, it's not it doesn't matter until you're this far along, or it doesn't matter until you've had this many losses. It was very validating for me to have that practitioner on my side to say, this isn't right. Um, let's, let's get you evaluated now. Um, so, you know, this was like six months after I had first got pregnant. So it was fairly quickly, but I was um, almost 35 at the time. So um, and you know, all of that story, how that goes, oh, you're 35, you're going to fall off this fertility cliff, which turns out not to be true, but I was going to take advantage of it anyway. It's like, sure, let's go. Um, and it takes a long time to actually get into some of these RE clinics. So, you know, I had to wait another like three months to be seen. I was afraid to try during that time because I didn't want another loss. I really didn't know what to do. Um, I ordered that modern fertility thing in the meantime, just to have something. And it did show an abnormality in one of my hormones. It showed that I had elevated prolactin. I was like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm going to, and they ended up redoing all of that stuff anyway for me. So, um, but it turned out through all of this testing um, that I had multiple problems and I thought going into it, I was like, I just, I hope they find something so they can fix it. And I thought that that would be comforting. And, but finding problems and then having to fix them was actually also very difficult. Um, I went through an hysterosalpingogram and HSG uh, where they put fluid into your fallopian tubes to see if they're open and receiving eggs and which was extremely painful and remind I had like a flashback of the first loss um I also had to have an MRI I had to have a hysteroscopy I had to have all of these things and I I was just not doing well like through this whole period there's so much waiting there's so much stress it's 
just, and there's no trying during it, just waiting for results the entire time. Um, so it turned out that I had two problems, three problems actually. Um, so they found a benign tumor on my pituitary gland uh, called a prolactinoma, which is, is not cancerous, but um, if it's in a certain place, it can cause like vision problems, but it causes elevated prolactin, which can prevent, um, can prevent you from getting pregnant, um, which seemed to not be my problem, but they're like, let's just put you on, you go on medication to shrink the tumor. I was like, okay, let's do that. Um, the second thing is they go in for hysteroscopy. So they go into, um, they go into the uterus, my poor uterus, been through such a rough time. <laughs> um, and they, so it, it's exploratory, but if they find anything, they can remove bad tissue. Um, what they found was scar tissue from the surgery that I had to remove the previous pregnancy tissue. They found old pregnancy tissue and they found a septum. So basically when your uterus forms, it's two pieces that come together, kind of like a heart. And then the dip on the heart goes away um, and it becomes kind of smooth and rounded, but mine didn't do that. It still had this kind of blip in the middle um, and it was located where babies like to implant. So I finally had my reason for why is this not working for me? Um, because it was just not a nice place for a baby to grow, um, which made me really sad. <laughs> um, but they, I had also kind of fallen into a deep, dark hole at the time. Um, so the scarred, the scarring thing is called Asherman syndrome um, or uterine adhesions. And there's a big community online, but with people who have had these adhesions. And some women have them so badly that they need like a hysterectomy um, or multiple surgeries or all of these things. And they're not able to carry a baby, unfortunately. It's really, really sad. And then I was afraid that that was going to be me. Um, and, you know, the internet is a really helpful place to find people who you can share your story with, you can listen to their story and you can, you know, you can be motivated by that, but there's also all of these really, really bad stories that come out and you can't help but think that's going to be me. I'm going to be the one who who's going to, you know, lose their uterus over this. And which ended up not being the case. Um, but it was really, it was really a really difficult number of months. Um, during that time with my work stuff, I ended up leaving that startup because I was going through all of these things at the same time. It ended up being a super toxic environment. So I had to find a new job during the midst of this as well. Um, and I actually ended up going back to a company that I previously worked at, just in a different role. And I was very honest with my new supervisor and said, you know, I'm going through this stuff right now. And um, I, I knew her for years. So this was like a new person that, um, that I wasn't comfortable sharing with. And she told me that she too had had miscarriages and she had gone through IVF. And um, it, was, it was helpful. Um, sometimes you get a really positive 
um, you can have a really positive experience from sharing what you're going through. Um, so all, all of these things happen. I'm in a new job, which I was feeling much healthier for. Um, we went through these surgeries and procedures. And finally, finally, last year, we got the clear to try again. So, and it was at the beginning of COVID. So I remember I got the surgery in February. COVID started in March or, wow. you know, yeah. So I had to wait two cycles to go back and get basically checked again to see if everything was okay. And I remember having to put on a mask and going on and seeing someone I, I really didn't know. And it was kind of scary, but they did um, an ultrasound and they said, um, my, my lining because of the scar tissue had been really, really thin at like five millimeters. So, which is, um, for anybody who's been through that, you know, the five millimeters is usually not enough to sustain implantation. And I went back this time and it was over 10. And wow. I was like, I'm fixed. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And they're like, by the way, you're going to ovulate tomorrow. So, oh, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I went home. I'm like, are we ready to go? Um, I'm still scared. And now there's a pandemic. Like, <laughs> of course, why not throw in this completely unknown virus that's, you know, sickening and killing people for fun. Um, but we decided, you know, at the time it was 35, I didn't really want to wait anymore. Um, and we had no idea how long this was going to last. So thank goodness I didn't wait considering where we are now. Um, and I got pregnant that cycle and, uh, that baby is in the other room. Uh, so, oh. <laughs> um, I love that. Yeah, he is. My husband's trying to close the door right now. So that I don't <laughs> um, it, it was a very, very stressful year to be pregnant, um, after two losses, after surgeries, after all of these things, um, and in the middle of the pandemic. And, um, there was a time where I actually thought that I lost this baby as well. Um, I had a very similar experience, symptom loss at around eight to nine weeks. And I was mourning the baby before I even knew that I lost him because I was so convinced that I wasn't going to get, I wasn't going to get my baby. Um, and I, I was on the phone with my therapist for like an hour, just crying and lamenting. And um, I remember driving to, I, I just called the doctor and I'm like, I know it's COVID, but can you please get me in for an ultrasound? I am, I'm freaking out. And they're like, okay, come in, just, you know, we'll, we'll do it. Um, and I was crying so hard on the way there. I thought I was going to crash a car. Uh, I like couldn't keep my eyes open and I got there and they did, they did the, um, they didn't do internal. They did on top. And I was like, why aren't you sticking the wand in me? I want a good, <laughs> um, but the baby was there and moving and I'd never seen my other babies move. And it was extremely emotional. And I have a video and you can hear me crying in the background. Yeah. Um, and I, it was a, it was a great moment. I honestly did not feel any ease at all until maybe halfway through 
Um, and even then, it really wasn't. It wasn't until I started to get really uncomfortable <laughs> that I was like, now I'm, um, the stress and anxiety is overcome with me just being a really uncomfortable pregnant lady. Um, but I, I then was kind of grateful for that. And I did not have a very comfortable pregnancy. I had sciatica. I had... Pregnancy is hard. Pregnancy is very hard. It be hard. And, you know, for those who haven't been past like the first trimester and being feeling that sickness, that's hard too, for sure. But I had something called symphysis pubis, pubic symphysis disorder or something like that. Basically, my pelvis came apart. And I, oh my gosh. I didn't like walk. Um, but at the same time, you hold these things together where you're like, I am so frustrated and uncomfortable and in pain and I can't sleep, but I'm so grateful mm-hmm. to be able to do this. But also, <laughs> I'm not happy. Yeah. Um, um, and delivery and everything is. I, I, the question I had when I first had, when I had my first miscarriage is like, this feels horrible. This feels like labor. I was curious if actual labor, like delivery of a full-term baby would be more or less painful. It was less painful because you can I get think the same thing. Yeah. You're supported. Mm-hmm. You're in a controlled environment. It's a happy time. It wasn't comfortable. <laughs> I had to be on Pitocin and that's like the devil's drug, but it was, there are things you can do. Um, and you have a baby after, and even though recovery is really rough as well, you there's joy and you don't get to have a lot of that joy in your first loss um, or in your any subsequent losses. Um, there's, there's hard in all of these things. And I'm glad to be where we are. There's, there's still, there's all different fears now um, and stressors that I don't think I anticipated. And a fear about, you know, if we eventually decide to have a second baby, will we endure something similar? Um, there's no shortage of suffering in this world. Um, and but I do feel, especially since I was able to start my medication back up, uh, which was a good, good decision. Um, I think it was like right before the third trimester. I was like, it's time. I have to, I have to do this for my mental health. Um, we, we made it through all of this through, through the pandemic. We've got a four month little boy and he is doing great. He came a little early, but you know, we made it through all of that. He's a chunky monkey now. Um, he's starting to interact and have personality. And I'm so grateful to, to have that. Um, in some sense, I'm grateful for the losses to know, um, to not be naive to that, um, to not, not like it's a fun club to be in, but um, I found out after how just how many people I knew that had suffered losses as well. And you would, I suppose you're a little bit better at supporting those people than those who haven't gone through this experience. But I also realized 
everybody needs something different in this um in this experience so i'm i'm far more sensitive to kind of asking how i can support people um and not thinking that the way that i wanted to be supported is the way that they might want to be supported um and you know the probably just me telling my story might um i tend to be a bit matter of fact and um we'll just go into detail and that might not be comfortable for everybody. Um, but that's how I am as well. And I've had people tell me like, I appreciate the openness, but it makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but it's for some people, you know, some people want the information and they want the details and yeah, you can always turn it off. Um, and I think that's, that's a valid tool that people need to be able to use to just shut off things that are not serving you right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I haven't listened to, um, I listened to life after miscarriage for a long time after, but eventually I had to stop listening to it. Um, where I just, you know, it wasn't the season for me anymore to, to dive down that hole and to be completely aware of all of the painful things that can happen, but to that think what can go right. And, um, there's a time and place for all of those things. I agree. Totally. Well, Christine, thank you for sharing your story. I am so glad that you have a rainbow baby at the end of it. Cause it makes, although I always say that it makes it it makes it easier in the way that like I can hold my rainbow on really hard days where I'm thinking about my trauma or my losses. Um, so it's a great reward for the really crappy things that you've been through. Definitely. And I can see he has my eyes and it's like looking into my own eyes. It's very strange. I love that. But just, you know, when he looks up at me, it's like, I'll always remember his siblings, but it, it just warms my heart and it makes me want to be here and be present for him. Yeah, for sure. I get that. I 